0: You're now tuned in to the Desire to Trade podcast, a show where we bring you the best figures of the trading world and teach you how you can become a successful trader. This is your host, Etienne Kret.
1: Etienne Kret here, founder and founder of Desire to Trade. Welcome to episode. 73 of the Desire2Trade podcast. Guys, this is the first episode of the year, and I'm super happy to have you tuned in once again. I'm telling you, <laughs> the year's going to start really, really strong with this podcast. I wanted to bring one last guest back, one guest that really made a big impact, and one guest that completely changed my definition of one key concept in trading, that is risk management. In this episode, I'm sitting down for a second time with Michael Tuma a futures trader, with a big passion for risk management. If you want to survive in the game of trading, you have to listen to this, and you have to implement what Michael talks about. I had the chance to meet Michael once in person at the Montreal Traders Meetup, and I was amazed by everything he shared and all the knowledge he has. So I'll leave you with this interview, and I'll come back at the end with the takeaways. Mike Tama, welcome back on the podcast. How's it going today?
0: Great to be here, Etienne. Uh, it's been uh, been a few months, huh?
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And I was just counting, your, I think you were 32 episodes ago. That's really interesting.
0: Yeah, it's been a long way, but a short time and great markets, a lot of fun, a lot of volatility of late. So uh, yeah, that's what makes uh, this business so great.
1: Nice. And just to give people a bit of background, the reason why you're back, is that I wanted to bring back some of the guests of the past year. Some of the guests that really inspired me and really helped me the most. So that's why you're back. That's why, because you, you really had a good knowledge of risk management. And I think you completely changed the way we're thinking about it. So welcome back for sure.
0: Oh, thank you. It's a, uh, if I can make the world a better place, that's great. And you know, again, like I mentioned the last time, it's, it's not the most sizzling of topics, but an essential part of this business. Mm-hmm.
1: But one of the sentences I remember clearly from the last episode is you said, as a trader, you're first of all, a project manager. Can you expand yes. a little bit on that and maybe give people some background on this?
0: Sure. I, I think as traders, and, and I use this a lot when I, I speak you know, with, with people about trading, is they think of trading with you know, the bells and whistles and the lights and maybe trying to hit certain prices or, or whatever. But really, we're just here to, imp- we're really project managers in a sense, we're here to implement a plan. And whether it's, you know, you're working on a project to build a building or maybe trying to redo your bathroom. Or at work, and you know, in the corporate life, uh, just handling a project that your boss gives to you, it basically starts with a plan, and basically the goal is to execute the plan as it's designed to. Obviously, with the intention that if you do, it will achieve a certain result. Well, this business is no different. In fact, it's it's more essential because there's so many sort of you know, distractions and you know, tantalizing lights and things to kind of get you off your plan. So I always try to take a step back, and I always try to teach. You know, the students and traders who are, are kind of struggling, look at this as a project. You have the plan, implement the plan. And based on you know, the historical results, that plan should continue to uh, provide the results that's expected. Really, it's taking a step back and looking at what is this business? What's my job? Again, you're a project manager, not a trader. Execute this plan. It's really as simple as that. Easier said than done, of course, on the execution side. But again, that comes with practice. But really, the goal we have here is to execute a plan that's really already been given to you.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think a couple of weeks after the the interview we had the first time, you came to the meetup we have in Montreal. And I think if I'm right, you talked about was it having a plan or a trader development? I'm not sure exactly.
0: Uh, it was. Uh, we focused a lot on trader development at the uh, at the Montreal forums. And again, it kind of goes hand in hand. Development plan really focuses, however, uh, in addition to your project plan which is a lot of you may have a, a big crux of your project plan is your trading plan development plan is really identifying some of the areas where you need to either improve or you need to focus on so you know if you have some areas that just every trader or any professional in anything is going to have areas where they focus on strength and they're going to have areas of weakness the development plan really looks at taking some of those areas where of weakness and really building upon them and making them part of your strengths, particularly, obviously, the most critical avenues in your trading, you know, discipline, risk, stop management, things like that, identifying setups. Those have to be sort of moved into the strength category. But the only way to do that is to identify them and then work on them. And I've always found that by documenting those issues and following your progress in written format kind of helps you lead you to a certain a goal of what you would consider. Okay, now I can consider this, maybe not a strength, but I can consider this sort of out of my weakness bucket and I can take it from there.
1: Mm -hmm. But I guess this is a tough part to start with. And I'll just put myself in the shoes of a, let's say, brand new trader who is not successful. So whenever you start to trade, like everything is going on any direction, you kind of lose money everywhere, you have bad trades, you feel stressed. So how can you identify what weaknesses you have?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great question. It's actually a loaded, there's probably a whole topic, a book could be written just on that topic. How do you identify? It really, what we're highlighting is the risk management process. And we talked about that uh, last time a little bit is really identification, assessment, and then controlling. So, what we're doing is identifying, and there's different ways to do it. A few sort of tips that I've always found to be successful with traders is one communicate your trading history with another trader, a coach, always have somewhere to sort of help you identify. These issues because sometimes the trader itself can't really see what's going on. They may just see red on their journal, but that doesn't really mean what's happening. The thing too is I was just document document. What are the things that you find that are commonly causing poor results? And uh, you know, in this case, you know, may be losing trades. But what are the sort of identifiers saying? Hey, you know, when I do this, this happens. Or you know, when I do this, it doesn't necessarily meet my goals of success. So we're really looking at sort of, and I take a very big data-driven approach. In fact, most of my decisions are data-driven. I look, I identify and say, okay, and then I summarize through data and saying, this is obviously when this happens, sort of an if, one big if then. If this happens, why isn't it achieving this? And you kind of filter, say, well, if if I'm not achieving my goals when I'm doing this, you know, kind of like the doctor saying, it hurts when I, I move my arm this way. Well, don't move your arm that way. Eventually, you filter out those things that are causing negative results. So eventually, you will have at least positive results if you keep weeding them out. But you know, to summarize your question, it's it's a, it's a kind of a difficult one. And really, you're talking about a human element here. So a lot of people have different reasons why they're not maybe achieving their goals. So you really have to almost got into the psychological aspect of training for success. But uh, generally, the the core things I always want to see is documentation. Data analytics, but also the human element. Maybe there's something behind the scenes here that really needs to be brought up. And you know, a lot of times when you know I review certain things, such as uh, audit trade journals and things, you can really get a sense of you know, are they pushing it after a loss? You know, you can do some data analytics. Uh, You know, what is their trade? Does their trade size change after winning trades or losing trades? And you really can do sort of a, a sensory audit and really bring to the surface valuable information about their styles and, and what they're doing, or maybe what they're doing wrong. Again, that's all part of the risk identification process.
1: Mm-hmm. And so to identify this, what kind of journal do you have? Is it something you write down by yourself by hand, or is it just data or computer-based? How would you yeah, know, it, see it as ideal?
0: Yeah, with with all the you know technology, there's so many other, so many platforms now, particularly in trade journal platforms. And you know when you know, I took the visit up to Montreal, I, I actually had this topic with yourself and some of the other attendees, and it seems like everyone has a different way of doing it. I generally you know I'm not really the biggest techie in the world, so I kind of stay old school. I think the key you know it could be Excel or anything like that. um there's some pretty good products out there. I've been really researching them this past year, and there's certainly something maybe to you know take it to the next level, but I tell you, as long as you have a tool that can en- enable you to identify. Certain trends or certain outcomes when you do certain things, that's really all that's needed. And, you know, I know it sounds old school, and, and maybe some of the uh, millennial generation will laugh at me, but, you know, there's nothing like a good spreadsheet to identify, use as an identification tool. But I will say, there's some pretty good information out, tools, and technology out there that is really starting to challenge my thinking on that. And certainly a goal for 2017 for me.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. The other thing I wanted to Get your take on is the fact that you mentioned in the last episode that you were thinking about maybe doing some trading in a park or something. I think that's what you mentioned. So I don't really believe that much in mobile trading in the fact that you cannot really go with let's say a phone or something in the park and trade with that. You think that's possible, or do you think it's harder?
0: You know, sometimes it can simpler is better, and I think one of the biggest risks again to what risk identification. That I've noticed is sometimes traders have too much information at their disposal, you know, in, within their on their screens. And I'll be honest, I've tried to look at some of their you know trade uh, platform setups, uh, you know, display setups. I'm just too many lines on the screen. If you ask me, certain types of technical analysis is used certainly require some screens, things like that. But there are also some types of applications, and I, I'm a big market profile guy. I can use market profile, and to be honest with you, I don't have any major. I have like one chart on my screen. I'm really looking at certain levels, so it's really numbers that I'm looking at, price levels, and the volume to go with it. I really don't need a chart for that. And when it comes to targets, those price levels, I just need basically a pad and paper. Now, you know, I don't know if I would you know suggest doing that all the time, but uh, you know, we were talking earlier. I was away a couple weeks ago, and you know, I was basically trading mobile and. Yeah, it it worked out. Sometimes simpler, I think, is better. And is anything that I've changed throughout the progress of my career, I have made my the data that I look at more simpler. So it's less and less, not more and more. And I think the more and more you get, the more it becomes a 50-50 game. Again, uh, you know, I'm more of a market profile guy, so it's not necessarily looking at moving averages or lines on a chart. So uh, that helps me in that regard. But I definitely, when I see some of these display platforms and there's eight screens with 50 lines on this, I go, oh, how do you do this? You know, one of them's going to hit. So again, simpler to me is better. And, you know, I try to, the challenge we have, and you, you may have this too, when we're, we're talking with traders and teaching them. There's this sort of mindset that you have to get out that that more is better. And sometimes eventually you have to, uh, what did your mom say? You have to, no matter how many times, tell you not to touch the stove, it's hot, they you just have to touch it sometimes to learn the lesson. Also, I think in a part in my career where I just, I want less. I, I just, I mean, I want less noise. I know what I have to do. I have a project plan. I'm a project manager and I have a plan to execute. And really that plan doesn't require 10 charts. So I know when I'm wrong and I know when I'm right. And I know where you know my targets are and I know where to sort of reduce my risk. So in that regard, those are the key things I have to do. I really don't need a lot of charts. That's
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. no, been interesting. And so for people who want to have a bit of background on market profile, can you tell us a little bit about what it is and how it's applied?
0: Yeah, sure. You know, in, in 30 words or less, which is almost impossible for market profile. Um, basically, what you're doing is, and, and I'll use the example of any type of auction theory or you know, retail, or anytime you buy something, generally speaking, a retailer will put a price on something. And if there's no demand or there's less demand, they'll lower the price to attract buyers, right? And when those buyers come in and do doing really well, he's you know maybe it's a restaurant or something, they'll say, you know, I could probably, I think I could try and raise my prices here. I got pretty good demand and I got a good customer base and I can try and do it. And it might work and it might work again. And at some point, the customers will say, you know what, I'm going next door. So he may have to lower the price the same thing happens really in the markets or any type of thing where there's there is a market you know there's buyers and there's sellers and there's a price at which the most volume where the most the most optimum place to do business at that particular time is being conducted price tends to navigate around there because it's a comfortable way buyers are pretty comfortable buying sellers are pretty comfortable selling there when they hit certain extremes now the market kind of tests those areas is this the new normal price that should where buyers and sellers are comfortable and obviously you know when prices go higher you know it seems like the market is accepting those prices as the normal okay and we call those the normal price the point of control and there's a range and there's a certain value area which generally the market sees as able to conduct business and everyone seems to be accepting that okay mm-hmm. now obviously Prices move up or down in a big way. Now, all of a sudden, now the market says, this is now the new price to conduct business. But there's a tendency for price to kind of reduce, go back to the mean, so to speak, where the price where most businesses conducted. It also tends to deflect away from price where historically has not traded very much, because that's where a lot of buyers and sellers didn't find it to be good to do business there. So these sort of uh, you know movements are great ways to trade and they also more importantly they're great levels to sh- tell you where you're wrong or where your target is going to be now that's market profile you know a market profile specialist would kind of maybe take a you know a little, a little chuckle with that type of initial market profile 101 but i think it's if it's a tease for you know your listeners to at least say you know what that guy makes interesting sense i'm, I'm going to google market profile and just learn a little more about it It's pretty interesting because really, again, all I need to know is where's the best, the most fairest price the market has told me is the best place to conduct business. Chances are, I'm going to say that price will probably at least try to introduce themselves back to that price level. So obviously, if it's much higher, if price is much higher, I got to keep that in the back of my mind. Is this the new price where it's good for business to be conducted or price is going to reject that and say, you know what, let's go back to that comfort zone to where it was very clear that price was being accepted at certain levels. And again, those are, you know, you can convert that into tradable activity. But that in a nutshell, it's a pretty fascinating thing. And if you can use market profile in conjunction with maybe more traditional tactical analysis, now you have somewhat of a confluence strategy that can maybe help, uh, you know, improve your odds of success. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we can leave it
1: here because it's so interesting. Sure. How do you calculate the optimal price?
0: Yeah, uh, well, a lot of the market profile data you could find online overnight, usually you know, maybe one or two hours after the close, because again, it's all based on the price range and the number of amount of volume that was traded at each sort of uh, price interval during the day. Or, so it's kind know, of a pivot start. point, right? Yeah, it somewhat acts as a pivot. It, in a trading sense, it can act as a pivot point. But what it does is show which range are, are most acceptable. You can get that data pretty much online. And we can even put it in the uh, the video note afterwards, I can give you some links that I use. But really what it is doing is, it's taking all the volume for that particular session and saying where was 70% of the volume traded, actually 68%, which in sort of uh, algorithmic terms is a one standard deviation. So basically it's looking at where did 70% of the trading volume trade that day, and then look for that sort of your value range. And then somewhere within there was a price where the majority of contracts are traded. And you could take that information and compare it to previous days. Because again, you know, the price at which uh, buyers and sellers accept as normal will change, obviously. If it didn't, it would just there would be a flat trading range. So and then you can even go back historically, say 15 days, 20 days, and say, okay, in the past month, you know, where was the most volume traded? And again, using them as areas where you could, uh, you know, make your strategic uh, buys and sells, and particularly use them as targets. So uh, again, there's more and more stuff coming online, but it's not as prevalent as a lot of sort of technical indicators, things like that. Uh, a lot of people are intimidated by profile, but again, just everybody doesn't have to change their way of thinking, but maybe introduce it into their arsenal, and you know, it will certainly, in my case, it's essential for me. But I think it can only help improve uh, your ultimate success rate.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But it's always also about focusing on one or two things that you master, not trying every single thing and trying to put it on the chart because that doesn't work.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I've seen, I've talked to people where, you know, I don't, it's tough to visualize this but yeah, the market profile charts are these sort of point and figure charts where they're basically documented by, you know, A period, B period, C period. It's not your typical chart and people are just very intimidated by it. So and some people just say, Guy, "I don't, you know, I don't really have time for this stuff." And I, I just find it to be perfect uh, for me. And you know, I was a, a technical and uh, did a lot of technical analysis, and I still do, but I use it as confluence to sort of my primary driver, which is market profile. And also, I think profile allows me not to have to watch the charts every five minutes. I mean, I kind of know my target, I know my price, I can kind of set it and forget it, uh, and I know where I'm wrong. And uh, you know, one thing about profile is if the market, if it's going to stop me out. The market has to sort of break something that in terms of buyers and sellers shouldn't happen. So, you know, I always challenge and say, market, you want to stop me out? Go right ahead. Stop me out. But you're going to have to sort of break a certain level that historically in the past day or two has been you know a very common, comfortable place for price to be. So it has to sort of break that place. And of course, you know, it happens a lot. But, you know, the market has to sort of beat me. I'm not just going to put a stop where a dollar amount because, you know, Again, the market really doesn't care about how much money I'm willing to lose. It has to sort of break a barrier to say, you know, you want to stop me out? Go ahead. But you're going to have to do this. And if it does, it does.
1: So that means you can put your trade orders a long time in advance. Or do you wait to see how price action moves at those points?
0: Yeah, I generally like to see where price action is doing at that price. But again, historically, it was quote unquote comfortable at that price in the past. Will it or will it not be? I don't look for a bounce per se. But what I'm looking for is even if price just kind of sort of gets to that, that area and sort of just hangs out for a few minutes, to me, that's good enough for me. The fact that it's sort of respecting the prior areas that should be pivot points, that's good enough for me. I don't really wait for confirmation, things like that. I just, you know, what I like to do is get in. And then when the other people who confirmation buyers step in, they're really just helping me push me to my target where they're just sort of, you know, maybe when they get a little green, I'm already at my target. So I kind of use them to the people who jump on the bandwagon to uh, push me to my target rather than kind of wait for confirmation. Because, you know, if I have confidence in this methodology, price going to that level is my confirmation, That it's in a sense. And, you know, it takes a little more guts to do that. But, you know, and sometimes it, it will go right through my, uh, my price. And, and then that's fine. I mean, that's why we have stop losses and things yeah. like that. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting dynamic, but I am generally a big proponent of not necessarily waiting for confirmation. My confirmation is when price goes down to test those levels.
1: Mm-hmm. But I'm going to guess that you're probably a good fan of trading alerts that you put on your chart and wait for them to be hit,
0: right? Yeah. I mean, you know, here's the good, interesting thing. It's, yeah, I don't trade too many products. I mean, my main focus is the ES futures, maybe the NASDAQ futures, and, you know, I'll dabble a little bit in the, in the oil, CL uh, oil and, and things like that, and lately the bonds. But So I really don't have, I mean, I really got one chart on my screen. So, you know, I have other sort of, you know, barometers, so to speak, uh, such as a tick chart and not a time tick chart, but like a New York Stock Exchange tick chart to see advance declines and things like that. Sort of my dashboard is most of my screen real estate. Uh, I'll have like one chart on there. So, you know, I kind of know where those levels are coming, or at least I know where they are at the beginning of the day. Now I'm just a question of You know, are they going to hit them or or where's my entry? That's already pre planned. So before the day starts, generally about 15, 20 minutes before the the market open, I pretty much know what my plan is, what my entry is, if this happens, what will I do? And I always have sort of a if this doesn't happen, you know, what should I do? Because this is usually an opportunity there. The one thing I'll leave on this market profile is, and the key thing is I always ask myself this question what is the market trying to do? And then how good of a job is it doing it? So if the market is supposed to be breaking through, whatever, you know, 20, 2200, yeah, whatever it is, or Dow Dow 19,500, and it keeps testing and testing and testing, and it's not breaking it. Well, what is the market trying to do? Maybe hit 20,000? I don't know. Well, let's just say it is. Well, if it's trying and it's not doing it, what is it saying about buyers? And what does it say about sellers? At one some point aren't the buyers going to get a little panicky and say, "Hey, you know, start giving up." So try to think about not just market profile or any type of trading as price levels. Think about the psychology of those people who's long, who's short? What are they thinking? You know maybe the shorts maybe the market just tanked ten points. oh okay, the shorts are feeling pretty good. Then the market bounces two points it you know, bounces up. okay, they're probably not panicking. three, four, five. Uh, Now it just broke a Fibonacci at 50%. Now, all of a sudden, if I'm short, now I'm like, now what do I do? Now I'm starting to get a little concerned. Okay. So, you know, start thinking about that in the sense of what are these people doing? So, if, you know, what is the market trying to do? And then, you know, a little takeaway is what are the market trying to do and how good of a job is it doing it? And if it's not doing a good job getting there, and again, you know, markets tend to go up, down, reverse, up, down, it doesn't necessarily barrel through a resistance level. But if it's, you know seems to be having trouble getting to a major, a relatively major pivot point, that's telling me, you know, when this starts to reverse, some of these people are going to bail out and I want to be on the other side of that trade.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I think it's a big takeaway for people to uh, just have this, like just thinking through this for sure. Probably every every day they, they think.
0: Yeah. You don't need a chart for that either. It's just start thinking about the other guy.
1: You yeah, know? yeah, for sure. Yeah, because for people, to, it's always people in the market. That's right.
0: Yeah, all right. and if he wants to bail out, I'll be happy to take the other side because most of the time they'll be wrong because they're bailing out on fear or something like that. And you know, generally speaking, obviously if it if it, I'm waiting for something that everybody's thinking is going to happen, and when all of a sudden it tries to happen, tries, tries. At some point, these traders, these buyers or sellers, are going to start to lose faith. And then all of a sudden, it starts going out of the direction. Maybe they move their stop up, and now they start hitting their stops. Like, there you go. There's my party time. There's what I live for.
1: That's why. That's why some people refer to as uh, fading, right?
0: Or is it uh, yeah, maybe contrarian. A fade is kind of you know shorting when the market's ripping up and stuff. I'm not that kind of guy, but I'll tell you this though: when the market's uh, you know full head of steam, up or down, and it's racing towards a major market profile pivot point, I'm ready. I'm looking to go the other way. And again, a lot of times, and you know, the you can make decent money, decent trades just from the profit taking of successful long traders. So, you know, at a certain point, they're just saying, you know, I'm going to take profits and maybe they'll take it at a certain pivot point. No, I'll short that, you know, I'll ride the wave with them. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm not going to hold it for 20 days or anything, but I'll, I'll take a, a 20 minute trade, maybe, you know, scratch up a couple of ES points. Sure.
1: Exactly. And that's why we say you, you don't have to be right to make money. Because you don't, you don't no. have to expect price to go all the way down to the other support or anything to make money. Right. So it's, it's really, right. really good.
0: Yeah. And guess what? I know where I'm wrong too. You know, if the buyer's kind of, it's really not happening and the buyer's come in and say, guess what? You know, this is really strong here. And you know, then I'll get out and take a little loss or whatever it is. I try to get myself in a position where I can at least get a break even and then let the sort of the trading gods take over. Uh, you know, whatever happens, happens.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Sure. Yeah. And when you go to break even, How far do you want price to move to place your stuff at Even? Is it one reward to risk, or two, or three, or?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, in the past, I've always done these ratios where I I try to do like you know two to one things like that. Again, I'm generally a price level kind of guy, and what I've learned, if there's one thing I've sort of progressed a lot in the past, say three to five years, particularly in the last two years, is my level of patience has been a lot better. So I'm willing to. Give it a little more room and go for sort of the home run, you know, on some of these, particularly if I have multiple contracts and I kind of scale out, I'll let that, you know, the last trailer contracts, uh, one or two, just run. And if I break even, great. I'll literally walk away and do whatever and, and just, you know, go out for a little bit. I have my mobile device with me, so, you know, I could always check and I get stopped out break even, great. But generally speaking, I'm looking for it to go reverse to that other target, so to speak. And again, know if I'm wrong. So, you know, I guess my the answer to the question is I've tried to take a lot of the calculation out of that, particularly on trailers, because, you know, trailers are a little uh, gravy on, on the steak. So, uh, and you need those sometimes to, you know, was the first trade, the first target pays the bills, second pays for the lifestyle, and, you know, the third, the cruise. You know, it's just, you know, that's those third ones. Those are the ones that, you know, allow you To really benefit from this business, you know the lifestyle of it. Uh, Again, easier said than done, and there's nothing more frustrating than you know a lot of break evens on your uh, trade journal. But I look at those as you know I put myself in a very good risk position, and the market will eventually reward me. And sometimes it does three, four times in a row, and sometimes I'll go two weeks without one. You know, the I try to understand the market. I've given that given that up a long time ago, and I don't even get frustrated at this point. It's again reverting back to our initial topic of you know, project management, just treat it like a project plan. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, interesting. Really well said. And one of the biggest misconceptions i see in trading is people who think that they have to trade everything to live from trading. Right? They have to either trade every market or trade every instrument in, on that market. But you're trading only, you said, one or two things. So how, and you don't think many trades, I guess. So how do you manage to live from just one or two markets?
0: I consider myself a specialist in that particular market. I mean, um, you know, the U.S. equity index futures are just—it's not just about learning charts. You really get a feel, and if you talk to you know professional traders who are doing this, they'll agree with me on this. Is, you know, and like yourself, there's a feel to some of these. Like you, like you kind of get a feel for where these buyers are going to get exhausted or where they're going to take you know profits or things. Obviously, there's there's charts and there's certain pivot points, but when you know these things are sort of ripping. You know this price. You know there's just gonna. Nah, I'm not gonna take this. This is gonna blow through this price, and if it does, it does. It does. It doesn't. But I feel again, and I've you know, in the risk identification process with some traders who are struggling, they're trying to look at everything, and I did that too, even as earlier, say two years ago, we may have even discussed. Yeah, I wanted to get more involved in gold and some forex and things, and mm-hmm. you know, I've kind of, and I even had it on my development plan the past couple of years, and I really told myself, I says, you know, I'm just really good at this one thing, why change that? You can add contracts, you can, you know, things like that to increase your size to if you're doing well. You don't necessarily have to look for, you know, other pots of gold so to speak. You know, and what I found that just sticking to what I do best, but at the same time developing, you know, the other areas, maybe finding, you know, certain markets, you know, like every market, even, you know, the equity indexes, even like this past summer it was really really slow. I mean, there was no volatility at all. So, you know, I tried to look for other opportunities, but I found the liking to start writing options in those type of markets. So I'm still focused on the equity element of the business. And I I just, you know, that's sort of part of my development. And I like that. I'm going to be doing that more and more. Uh, It just fits into my personal wheelhouse. And the success rate is much higher than, well, at least the win percentage, so to speak, of writing options is better than... uh, you know, even my my average trade success. So it complements things, but uh, my advice is, you know, find one that you're really comfortable with. But I, I just get a little concerned when I see a lot of different products being shown on a trade journal, and when I do a trade journal audit, that's a red flag for me. If they're successful at it, great, but I want to see the numbers you know work out. And I think eventually, it's like anything in life, etn. Like when you focus on one thing, you tend to do that really well, and you become a specialist. So. I don't want to be the surgeon for everything. I just uh, you know, want to be the surgeon for the uh, S&P futures and maybe a couple other linked type of, you know, correlated type products. For now, at least. The future, who knows? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's for sure very interesting. What are some of the mistakes you see the people you kind of uh, support do? So the 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 people you coach, what kind of mistakes do they do most of the time?
0: I think a lot of it is lack of discipline. A big one is discipline. It's you know, not following the plan. I mean, it's just sort of trading one-on-one. I mean, probably in the, I don't know how I many, 70 or some odd interviews that you have done on on to Trade, I bet you 60 out of the 75 is the same things. Inability to follow a plan, inability to have discipline, poor risk management. You know, we've all done that. We've all been there. You know, uh, my compliance, you know, I I monitor my compliance with my trading plan. It's about 93%, 95%. Well, you now here's a risk guy trying to tell you that 7% of the time, I'm not following my plan. Now, what's up with that? Well, I do give myself a little latitude. I mean, mm-hmm. there was some uh, previously you know, in the US elections in early November. I mean, I had some of the best days of the year, and it was technically breaking my plan. But these are just very unique situations that uh, call for that. So in essence, I can almost put in my plan that it allows me to do it. But breaking the plan, not having a good risk management foundation, And really uh, also trading too much size. I think that's a big one, uh, particularly after a winning streak. I see a lot of traders starting to load up on size and, you know, why?
1: Mm -hmm. So what do you recommend in that case? Is it to stick to always the same position size or always the same risk, I guess?
0: Actually, no, I usually suggest uh, what's so-called a graduation type planning where Mm -hmm. after a certain number of success uh, points, you can graduate to the next share or contract level. And if you don't achieve a certain result at that time, then you go back to the previous one. But from a risk standpoint, I like to use technological controls in that regard. So I would have the trader or I would you know, have the broker put a limit, a cap on the number of contracts or shares that can be traded. And then when they achieve a certain level or say their coach reviews and approves it, say, OK, now we can call their, you know, the broker and say, now he can trade 200 shares or two contracts or, or whatever the case may be. A lot of traders, you know, I'm not on a lot of the Christmas list of my trading community, but <laughs> because it's a frustrating thing. I know they're you know, they doing really well and they want to improve, but slow and steady wins this race. This is, you know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And, you know, if you're having success, you know, why would you want to put that success at risk? I mean, I understand everyone wants to make more money and stuff, but the markets will be there tomorrow. Don't worry. And if you're doing well, great, because I've seen a lot of people, including myself, who really struggled. Once they started improving their contract size or their share size, it happened to me a lot. It took me a while to really get up. And to be honest with you, Dan, I don't know if this is. Maybe you could speak on this behalf. I still struggle at certain levels, like ooh, you know, a little nervous about certain things. Oh, yeah, so sure. I don't know if I'll ever overcome that. That has been on my development plan probably for fifteen years. You know, learn to get comfortable at certain trading levels. But you know, maybe by definition, this is my comfort zone right here, mm-hmm. and I'm happy with it. It, it provides a nice lifestyle. Maybe it could provide a better one, but maybe that's just uh me and you know, maybe you know, taking it to the next level. But you know, any type of great trader who's trading, you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand shares and the hedge fund loves them and they get hired and it's okay, trade these hundred thousand shares a clip, they're gonna totally freak out. You know, it's just normal. Yeah, yeah. It's even psychology. Of course, if you have a billion dollar hedge fund, they probably have the top psychologists, you know, on staff to help you get through that. But the graduation idea of slowly graduating up your contract size, and again, it's only done after success. Then you know that's that's kind of a good way to start.
1: Mm-hmm. And success being measured as compliance,
0: not as P and L, I guess. Yeah, good. That's yeah, a good question. That's yeah. I measure it in compliance. The P and L should be there though. But if you are good with compliance and your P and L isn't there, then it's probably something fundamental with your plan, not necessarily you. So mm-hmm. what really concerns me is when I see a lot of p really good P&L, and a lot of non-compliance. There's your red flag. There's your ident- risk identification. Red flag, for sure. But yeah, good point. I try to measure in compliance. Are you executing your plan with precision?
1: Mm-hmm. And just to reflect back on what you were saying. I think this is really true that people kind of have a limit they have to go through sometimes. And what changed the most for me, I think, and I've applied this idea, is the past, past year or past few months. I've been trying to, well, I've been getting to trading for other people, so trying other people's money, which is interesting. But you sometimes need to break through the barriers of like risking a little bit what you used to and then risking a little bit more and a little bit more again. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of a working in progress for me too, but
0: uh,
1: it's something to work on for sure.
0: But it's a ch- you, you identified it as a challenge. I mean, it, yeah, it's yeah, not, it's yeah. different. From, why is that different though? It's the same exact project. Why is yeah. it different? It's, you know, I'm not criticizing you. Believe no, no,
1: me. No, 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 yeah. no, but I get it. And it's kind of like more a mental thing because it's not something you could, I don't know. It's probably something you could do trading the same, like same strategy with bigger amounts. But just to make it easier, it's much easier to uh, scale in, I would say.
0: Sure. No, I agree. And, and a challenge for me too, My identification, when I've done it and I've done my own risk identification, my problem when I manage other people's money, I take profits too early. Mm -hmm. So why am I doing that? Why don't I just stick to the plan? This is, again, we're bringing up a great discussion on human psychology. It's not just about numbers. It's not just about moving averages. And when you're right, when you bring it to the managing other people's money, and I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, it's tough. It really is tough.
1: But I find it easier though than trading my own money. I don't know why, but something someone else told me that in the past few episodes. I don't know why. I think it's easier for me to manage other people's money, and that's also really interesting as a topic to talk about for sure.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we should. Maybe you could help me out in that regard. (laughs) (laughs) I find it to be more challenging. But again, once I keep it more mechanical, and again, when I first started doing it, it was always a little tougher. But now I've just become a little more accustomed to it. But again, once you start getting at higher contract levels it's just different. It's just different. Just like trading SIM simulated uh, accounts is different than going live. And I've seen some great numbers on SIM accounts and I'm ready to go, you know, the person's ready to go live and it's tough. You could see it. You could feel it. You could see they're taking profits too early. They're moving their stops up too close. Like all of a sudden the principles of the project, the trading plan are not being adhered to. And again, it's just, it's normal in a sense. So traders shouldn't be, you know, criticized for it. It's just a normal part of the success process.
1: Yeah. Increments are key. Well, yeah. So how can people find you, Mike?
0: Basically I I do a lot I don't do a lot of sort of education platforms, things like that. Obviously through the Montreal Traders Group, Desire to Trade, if uh, they want to reach out through you. On Collective Two, which is sort of a self monitoring in the new year, I'm launching a a new trading thing where People can actually see, be 100% transparent with some of my trades and uh, market profile, and they'll see that in Collective too, just under Michael Toma. It's actually going to be under uh, the Globex Nation uh, product, but uh, we could put that in, in the notes uh, later on. But uh, I, I've got a lot of requests where people just they just want to see, they want to see more transparency, yeah. It's just <laughs> demand through it. So I says, you know, give them what they want. If you want to see my trades, go ahead. You know, and there's there's a there's a premium level to that as well. But, you know, if that's going to help them learn and and get on board, so be it.
1: Interesting. Yeah, for sure. And what kind of goal do you have for the future? Last time we talked, you were trying to try different markets. Now, what kind of goal are ahead?
0: Uh, Well, my goal next year, my primary goal is, again, it's always compliance. But as far as different markets and different products, I'm really starting to improve. Uh, My goal is to increase my percentage of total P&L or total trading. I haven't really decided yet. But towards option writing strategies, I just find that in my career right now, it allows me to be more flexible. I have some traveling next year that I plan on doing more traveling, and so it just suits me my lifestyle better. That being said, that doesn't mean you know I'm not uh, I'm an ES junkie for a reason. I love the ES futures, and I'll continue to do it. But right now, my uh, options writing uh, income is about ten to twelve percent of my total. You know trading income, I'd like to see that around 25% by the end of the next year. So that's sort of my initial goal. I'm not going to have several others, but that's my main one right now.
1: Nice. So just want to remind the listeners that all the show notes are going to be after that on desire People want to find the links to reach out to you. Everything's going to be there. We'll have a nice summary of this episode for sure. And Mike, you're having the first episode of the year. What advice would you give people for the new year in trading? What would be the main thing to think about?
0: I'm honored. I'm honored to be the first one of two thousand seventeen. Let me make it simple. This my advice would have may have been a little different the past few years. Obviously I'll say focus on risk, discipline, but I'm gonna start a new one for this two thousand seventeen. Three words. Patience, patience, patience. Let the trade work. Give it time. The market doesn't have a clock per se and doesn't care about, you know, I, I need this profit by two PM. You know, let the trade play out and you'll see. You know, a lot of those sort of small losers will, uh, you know, within market fluctuations, they able to be uh, played out and hopefully have, uh, lend you more success. So try to be more patient. Patience pays. Patience pays in dollars. Uh, so uh, have that. If, if, you, if you're not really getting that all together, try to put that on your development plan. Patience, patience, patience.
1: And that's huge. I think people will benefit from it a lot. Great. So Mike Tamar, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you here.
0: Great, uh, and I wish all the best of luck to your listeners in 2017, and to you as well. So there
1: you have it, guys. My interview with Michael Tummer. One thing I would love you to do is to pick the last advice Michael said, and write it down somewhere. That is going to be a key to start of the year. And I would even recommend you review what Michael said a couple of times, just to internalize it. Make it a quote. Put it on your wall. <laughs> but it's definitely going to be a great, great saying for the next year. If you guys want to connect with me after the show, check out the Facebook group over at desire forward slash group, and I'll be happy to connect with you there. There's also plenty of things, whether that's through the blog, Desire2Trade, or the YouTube channel that you can check out. And my only goal is to help you become the best trader you can be. And on that note, I wish you a very, very happy new year, and I'll see you in the next episode, which is going to be pretty in depth of the Desire2Trade podcast.